the best short films for lifelong learning, recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love, with your host, Richard Lee. I'm pleased today to move into an area that has fascinated me for the past few years in my work in education, philosophy in schools. My guest today is a classroom teacher at Upway High School in the hills near Melbourne, Australia, and she did her honours in philosophy. Clearly, this is her passion, and I've been at film screenings with Bonnie when she's enthusiastically been leading young people in Socratic discussions and circles of inquiry, communities of inquiry, I think we call them. Most recently, she has impressed me with her list of films that she uses in class, a Japanese avant-garde sociological music video, a multi-million dollar cinematic masterpiece of incredible human significance, and a very roughly hand-drawn animation with synthesised voice probably knocked up in about half an hour by a philosophy teacher trying to make a point. You've got it all and I'm mightily impressed. Bonnie Zoodlin, welcome to Short Films Teachers Love. Hi Richard, nice to be here. <laughs> uh, so first of all, what got you interested in philosophy at the start? Oh, um, a first year subject that I had to go back and take. Um, I originally was a science arts major student and could never pick a science subject. So I did a whole lot of art subjects, uh, women's studies and lots of history. And then when I dropped the science, because I'd never actually done any subjects, I said, well, we, now you don't actually have enough credit and you have to go and um, do a couple more first year subjects. So I picked up a philosophy subject. I think it's like in my third or fourth year I've been a been a bit of a bum of a uni student and then yeah uh the teacher was Ross Phillips um the the late Ross Phillips and um yeah I fell in love with his method of teaching and yeah and then went back and just did as many philosophy subjects as my degree would allow me to squeeze in at the end. Yeah. Fantastic and I guess it's one of those subjects that sort of migrates well to whatever you're teaching doesn't it the general approach? Uh yeah and also I think it came at a time in my life when um Maybe I was feeling like uh, my thinking had become a little bit rigid, uh, so it started to really kind of shift me to start um, being a bit more critical about the way I thought about the world, yeah. Mm. Now, you, I know of your work, obviously, with um, sort of broader networks of schools through the Victorian Association of Philosophy in Schools, but what, at your school, what levels do you teach philosophy at? Well, this year I have um, a junior philosophy class uh, for year seven, eight and nine students. It's a combined class. Um, I do a little bit of philosophy in a humanities subject with year 10 students and I have a year 11 VCE philosophy class, um, but I have taught year 12 most years um, up until this year. Because mm. I, I guess that's where most of it sits, isn't it, in a curriculum sense, that it's the year 11 and 12 as a distinct subject, isn't it? Uh, certainly, yeah. That's yeah. That's where it's at its most distinct um, level. But um, different schools have different uh, ways of bringing in philosophy at the different year levels. Yeah. In thinking about short films, then, is there a, a sort of an overriding principle that that you have that kind of guides you when you're thinking about what you're going to show your students? Oh, uh, I think it would would certainly depend on what I'm um, intending to use it for. Um, if it's a hook, then I want it to be something quick and snappy um, uh, that will grab their attention. Um, if it's something that I'm doing along the way of a unit of work that I actually want them to get some understanding of a concept or an idea, um, then um, 
I'll be I'll be looking for the content richness of something, um, and the uh, I guess having it spelt out in a clear way um, that maybe is different to the way that I might do it, so that. Um, it's not just something that replicates what I say but maybe says it in a different way. Uh, so I might capture that group of kids in my class who may not have got it the way that I said it but um, they might get it the way another thing has has um, put it out there. Um, and then sometimes it's just sometimes it's a summative thing. It's, oh, this person has captured what we've just spent a couple of weeks doing. They've put it into this little five-minute thing. Let's see if they've, you know, covered it um, uh, as well as what we've done and have have we touched on all of the bits that they've highlighted as the key parts. So, yeah, they, I'd be looking for those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, let's go to the films. Um, the first one you've chosen is called Time-Lapse Map of Every Nuclear Explosion Between 1945 to 1998. This is definitely one that needs to be seen rather than just heard uh, because it's a, well, it's a visual and a musical representation of a map displaying every nuclear explosion from 1945 to 1998. And it's something I found you can actually go back and study in detail, you know, on second and third viewing. Amazing stuff. And it, and it kind of feels wrong to fast forward it even though I did have to do that I knew where it was going but I did skip so my first question is how how did the students go watching this watching it the whole lot because it is fairly lengthy but really impacting yeah so yeah I think it thing things don't really sort of start taking off until like the 60s and 70s with the space race but so for the first couple of minutes the kids are kind of like what is what is going on here they can they they kind of know because they've got a bit of a background knowledge about Hiroshima um and Nagasaki but um yeah, then they're not quite sure where it's going. And then when it all just starts taking off and their, their jaws drop and they're just stunned um, and they can't believe we're still existing today after after all of that that, that went on. Um, and, yeah, so uh, the discussions and the questions that come out of it at the end are just, yeah, just phenomenal. What, tell me about some of those questions and discussions. Well, again, I've used the, I've used this film in a, in, in a variety of contexts. I've been teaching a unit um, of work, a Year Ten Humanities subject, which is kind of a history um, and geography of climate change. So I've used it in in that context, um, and uh, and so the questions come in. Well, how do we connect? Um, how do we connect that to to climate? Um, and um, surely, so, so questions have come up like, well, why why isn't the climate worse off because of all of those explosions? Um, why don't why don't we see, um, you know, a peak in in uh, carbon emissions right in that time? Because it actually doesn't come until the last um, twenty five years, not in not not during the space race when all of those ex nuclear explosions occurred. Um, so they're asking those kinds of questions to kind of link it to the science. 
Um, and then, uh, then there's sometimes it takes us into a bit more of a, a morbid kind of area because they they recognise um, and and have a bit of an understanding that there's still a lot of nuclear capacity in the world, um, and so we then have to sort of have discussions about. Um, the nuclear proliferation um, agreements um, and we talk about um, MAD and mutually assured destruction and, and why that kind of prevents um, prevents a potential nuclear war, uh, just, to, I guess, to inspire some hope that actually we're not going to be, um, we're not going to be blown out of the, out of the planet yet. <laughs> certainly. I mean, I came away with the sense that, you know, certainly the US loves to blow things up. You know? yep. Yep. And, and I also had questions. Some, some of the easier to answer like you know why did he stop at 1998 and I think that was because it was made in 2003 using data available up to 2000 so that was purely a function of the, yeah. the filmmaking but I didn't have time to find out why the, the different colours were there like you know were they underwater explosions and oh right so that 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 version is a longer version and you can find another version um that has um, along the bottom um, a a um, a little table, and the different colours actually represent different countries who were responsible for those explosions. Right, because I did see in in the long version there is a summary by country kind of wrap up at the end. So yeah, right. So maybe that's that's the part. That yeah. You so showed. in another version, you can see um, as uh, so yeah, I guess in the. 70s and 80s, you see Pakistan and India um, really taking off um, with their nuclear testing. Um, and then, and yeah, so then you got, I think blue is the Americans, and then I think the reds are, are Russian um, ones, and then the other colours come in are the UK, France. Um, and and Pakistan, India, um, doing their their tests, and you can see them happening sort of in in the Europe, um, well, the Middle East area, um, and yeah, so that's what. Uh, and then um, on this other version, I think it's only like three three minute version one. Um, you um, you see the tally of each country um, and how much um, each country has has uh, done a nuclear test, how how often they've done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and I love you know there is an artistry to it as well you know he's created a musical note for each explosion and the yeah. and the ticking of the years and the bong and every you know every month and then every year and all that sort of stuff you know it's it's well done in that sort of narrative yeah. sense too so very good was there any other comments you wanted to make about why you chose that or what you know any well i've used it also um yeah, in the in the philosophy classroom, when we've done uh, things about uh, qu when questions have come up about um, just war theory, um, although that one's a little bit, it's it. I think that more of a hook, um, if anything, um, than than actually to talk about just war theory because um, there's not a, not a great connection um, to the actual theories. But um, yeah, just just as a, a thing to say um, about you know the kinds of uh, kinds of wars and kinds of things that the world's world has engaged in um and so that would i would put that alongside other 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 clips or other other documents about um you know po you know more more like world war Two, which is easier to talk about in, in in the context of just war theory um yeah okay let's go on to the next film um and the one you've chosen is called home listen to me please you're like me 
a homo sapiens, a wise human. Life, a miracle in the universe, appeared around four billion years ago, and we humans only 200,000 years ago. Yet we have succeeded in disrupting the balance that is so essential to life. Listen carefully to this extraordinary story, which is yours, and decide what you want to do with it. This is epic stuff. This is um, actually available online in high definition. Um, and, you know, it is virtually... Uh, it must be one of the few viral feature-length documentaries with 16 million views, 25,000 comments. This is, you know, it, it is massive in, in, in every way. And the first 16 minutes to me are an incredible sort of feast of environmental wonder and beauty, uh, you know, just as we absorb the Earth's visual richness. And then the humans come in. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's the point where you chop it out and, and you know, um, and go to, to how you might use it. Is that where you start launching into the discussion? I've, I've used home a few different times. I, I have attempted to show the whole thing because <laughs> um, I love it. It's visually spectacular, um, but it's slow. It can be quite slow going in some parts, um, and um, the kids just can't stand the the woman's voiceover. They think it's a bit flowery and and the, the bit hippy ditzy kind of voice. Um, even though the stuff that she's saying is is um, spectacular and awesome and and really profound. Um, yeah, but I've uh, I've used this one, and I only used yeah the, the first sixteen minutes because um, our humans aren't there yet, and it's to set up um, the history. Uh, um, I've used it to set up the history of climate change, um, and to get a bit of an understanding of the Earth's formation, um, and uh, why why uh, or how carbon got into the into the Earth's surface. Um, but, um, my, my humanities class, we also do a little bit of philosophy, um, and, uh, in it, she talks about the miracle of life. I was going to ask that. It was a great little comment, which comes at the end of that grand sort of opening. She says, you know, the earth is a miracle. The earth is a miracle. Life remains a mystery. Life remains a mystery. And then she lets it. So that's fascinating. And I love that. I love that bit because I find, um... Because we're, we're, we're sort of uh, delving into a very scientific kind of area, but then there's this element of, of mystery um, and, and the kind of the, the magic of why life exists. And I kind of want to inspire a little bit of wonderment with students about that. And so, um, you know, that's, that has led us into, back into some philosophical discussions about... Um, the, the possibility of something else in the universe because if you look at the if you look at the science and the mathematics of how life came about and that scientists today have tried to replicate um, the very origins of life they've you know tried to create the exact conditions under which cyanobacteria came about and they haven't been able to do that um and it opens up this other possibility that maybe there was something else there uh and i i 
the students that I tend to work with at my school are very agnostic or even atheist or anti-religious institutions. And I just want them to have that as a possibility there just to um, not to dismiss the rest of the world who might have a religious view or a spiritual view, um, but that, that there is this just this moment in our in the reason why we're here, where we might say, hang on a second, there's something still mysterious about this. What is it? How, how the hell did we get here? Um, and that's kind of exciting. Um, so that's why I like that little part of it as well. Definitely. And, and I think, you know, the whole area of philosophy of science, which obviously you came across in your own studies, you know, and to be able to share that with your students is, you know, almost a, a lovely add-on to science teaching in a, in a school as well. So you're almost able to take them out of a science class and go, but what about, and add the wonder stuff in that you're talking about. Yeah. That's fantastic. So it obviously leads to, you know, she talks about every species have, has its place, nothing is futile or harmful, and then, you know, the implication is, but then along came humans and stuffed it all up, you know. Is that, is that where you go for, uh, with it in an environmental sense? What do you, what do you then sort of, where, where did it, do the discussions go with this film? Well, I guess we, we kind of end the film there <clears throat> and I do say, you know, to tell the kids that they can go and watch the rest of it online if they, uh, if they want to. Um, but then we actually go in uh, to the content of, the, of um, the history of humans and climate. So in, in, in the classroom, that's what, we're, that's what we're starting to look at. So we go and we look at ancient civilizations and their relationship to climate, the medieval times, the mini ice age, um, all the way up to contemporary society. And, um, and so I, I use that as... I, I like to think that this unit is a bit of a story and it's a narrative about us and the earth um, and I use that as the, the the narrative part of our story before we were there um, so that as we're learning, we're building on to our story and our part of it. Um, so, yeah, so that one sort of helps me to deal with the, the, the prehistory part um, before, before we came along. Mm. Great. Do you ever get uh, a student that comes and says, oh, you know, Miss, I watched the whole lot or, you know, comes back reporting about that or, you know? Um, not, on the, not on that video. No, I haven't had, I haven't had that one. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm a, a, a little bit miffed, I guess, at the moment of the lack of interest that kids have in, in documentaries. Um, and I, uh, there's, there'd be, there's some documentaries, I guess, that are a bit more juicy and sexy but that one even though it's visually spectacular uh it is it is slow and it and I guess in some parts of it it like the rest of it is um uh, yeah I'd say it's probably confronting particularly when you start looking at the images of um like the agricultural industry um if you th those those drone flyover scenes of you know acres and acres of just tomato sheds in greenhouses and then um cattle fields with just no grass but like hundreds and thousands of cows locked into little pens and uh so you, you see that kind of thing and um yeah i haven't 
uh, and possibly will, um, but um, haven't gone back to show kids those those parts because we we look at other things. So I'll, I'll be showing them some clips from Naomi Klein's "This Changes Everything" documentary. Um, so there's plenty of other other sort of documentary sources that that I'll be pointing them to um, down the track. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like part of your challenge still, even even though you're teaching philosophy often at a senior level where the kids are are less worried about the entertainment factor is that you still do have to engage them and hook them in and get them excited about the topic that you're that you're talking about so that leads us to the next film i think quite nicely (laughs) Um, plato's analogy of the cave so we have been in this cave quite a while now have we not Yes, all our lives. Look, Charles, a duck. I like ducks, they're my favorite animal. Oh my god, look, Charles, your chain has broken. Oh no. I am being dragged up the hill of knowledge, which represents me learning about the forms. Oh, ow. Oh, ow. Oh, I am bleeding. This represents the struggle of the path towards true knowledge. I love this little clip. It's funny. Um, it's funny because it kind of is, it's kind of making fun of the story as well as telling the story. Um, and you know, cause they put in a, they put in a gun and someone gets shot in it as well, which is completely <laughs> out of, not, not in the story in the, um, allegory at all. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. um, but yeah, uh, this, that little clip is, is just a hook to say, well, um, you know, here's this ancient text, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, over 2,300 years old. Um, but look what someone has done with it um, with, you know, a little bit of commu- um, computer animation um, and, and um, you know, we, we, we then look at how influential it has been throughout even today and, and contemporary society, um, you know, the, the, um, the influence on Christianity and then all the way up to pop culture and the mate films like the matrix, uh, uh, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, this one's just sort of a little hook into say, uh, how, how powerful is this, you know, this, this, um, this story, this text that's really quite old, but still yeah. very and, relevant. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I love about working in media is that every film I make, every film I watch, every time I I talk to someone about a film they've watched I learn something <laughs> and yeah. you know I know obviously I know about Plato you know but I've never formally studied philosophy other than a couple of units at uni but I, I watched this and wanted to know what the allegory was you know and I and I found myself researching the whole background and I think that's also what you're trying to do you know I, I actually found um, a gorgeous little claymation which I think does a much better representation of what Plato's cave allegory was um, yeah. and I'll put the link in there because it's beautifully done and it's this the guys you know in the cave hanging you know constrained and the pictures on the wall and all that sort of thing and to me that explained it better and yet I love this one because it had that the spunk factor about, you know, the yeah, guy came yeah. back and he got shot and, you know, it's just kind of, yeah, yeah. Not, that's not right. But when I even looked on Wikipedia about the, the allegory, it was, 
there was something about killing. You know, there's, there's this idea that people don't want to, you know, the madman comes back and learns what the world is really like and they're so scared of him, they kind of, you know, they'd actually kill anyone else that would try to take them out into that light. You yeah. know, there's this yeah. whole, there's all sorts of interesting, like, even though it's so, you know, botchy well, and rough, you know, it kind of leads you to think about these other areas of the allegory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's ultimately what happened to Socrates, isn't it? I mean, he was attempting to come back out of the cave metaphorically and, you know, uh, pull the Athenian people out of their their ignorance and, and you know, to, um, you know, he was charged with corrupting the youth, but really he was trying to get them to be critical thinkers in the world. And ultimately, you know, he, he had to, you know, they put him to death. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a story about him, even and and his even it's his original idea, um, and then it's it's it also happened to him. So um, yeah, and and I guess you could maybe make some contemporary um, analogies to that, and and think of um, you know people like Martin Luther King or, or other greats who, who people who've been assassinated over time, um, who, who've been working to reveal the truth or, or whatever. So um, yeah, so. I think that the, the little gun reference at the end is still still pertinent, even though it's not not uh, you know it's not not they didn't have guns in ancient Greece. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So what, so do you get laughs out of this? Tell me about the response you get to this one. Yeah, kids find it funny, um, um, and uh, yeah, they <clears throat> they do want to know they do want to know more um, afterwards. And um, it does hook it does hook them, um, but it depends on what what groups I've been doing it with. Because sometimes um, we kind of already know a little bit about um, uh, Plato's theory of the forms, which is um, what the the allegory of the cave um, sort of. Attempts to highlight. So we might come to um, the actual story of the allegory of the cave after having learnt some other aspects already of it. Um, so yeah, just it just it just depends on when I have introduced um, introduced the ideas as to how how relevant it might be. Um, sometimes it's just at the end of the class we're like, oh, we've got a couple of minutes left. Let's watch this funny clip that, of you know Plato's cave, and um, so it it yeah it. It might be. It might not necessarily always be used as a as a learning tool. It might be just something that we're like, haha, that's that was that we've we've been learning about this, and this is what somebody else did. I mean, there's lots of other there's lots of other silly stuff out there. There's um, university students who've done uh, done short films, or actually probably more like they're not they're, they're probably about half an hour long, um, and they're quite ridiculous uh, of them um, pretending to be contemporary. Um, uh, people escaping the cave, and um, so you can find all sorts of other weird, weird things out there related to this story. Um, but this one's just a, a short, cute animation. That's yeah, it's two that's and a half funny. minutes or something, isn't it? It's very yeah, short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. does it? I mean, that leads me to sort of think. You know, do you ever use that as a? Uh, um, as not an assessment as much, but a sort of an extension exercise, you know, going, if you were going to represent it, how, I guess that gets more into English and humanities and arts and media, but, you know, there is, when you show people that you can express these ideas in a different way, that gives you opportunity to do that in your class. Is that fair enough? Or? Yeah, um, and certainly 
depending on the, the, the group that I've had, um, you know, a few years ago I did have a group of year 11 students who a lot of them were also doing arts subjects, um, drama and theatre theater kids. And so um, I did set up assessment items for them to be able to be more creative and, and to do plays or dialogues. Um, but, yeah, if I've got a, a group that are actually – uh, really wanting to to get other things out of philosophy, then we might not do do it in that way. So my group this year are, are a bit more academic and really want to knuckle down with the writing and get ready for exams and things like that. But yeah, if I've got groups that are more creative, then yeah, certainly we'll um, get them. I know one of them did an animation a few years ago um, on free will and determinism. Um, so, so yeah, there's opportunities for that. And so something like that um, gives them an idea of what they could do. Certainly yeah. it sets a low bar, that one, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you um, for those insights. It's really uh, it's, it's fascinating to hear, and I think others will find that useful too. But the question I always like to finish with is, um, what is your earliest memory of the moving image? Uh, I don't know which one comes first, but I've got two fairly prominent ones. One is um, on summer holidays going and seeing E.T. at the cinemas and I only remember it because my brother, who's only a year and a half younger than me, um, hid behind um, the cinema chair during it um, and uh, that one. And I think I watched The Man from Snowy River as a little girl like a hundred times at my babysitter's because we didn't have, a, we didn't have a, 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 a video player at my house and my babysitter had a video player and I think she had like Man from Snowy River, Mary Poppins and something else like, I can't really remember the other ones, but and, and they just got um, put on repeat basically. Those are those are my earliest memories, I think. Really. Did you did you grow up in the hills? Did you have an affinity, and that was the connection to the man from Snowy River, or not really? Uh, my parents took me to this to the Snow Mountains um, every Easter for holidays for for many years, and we took our horses, um, and we sometimes sort of imagined that we were going down cliffs, <laughs> and sometimes it felt like as a little girl on a pony I was going down a big cliff. Um, yeah, so yeah, so there's, there was a bit of affinity there with with where I grew up and things I did as a kid. So yeah, yeah, and Tom Berlinson as a young man was pretty spunky. Excellent. <laughs> Very good. I'll note that one. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Bonnie, for your time and for your insights. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to the show, join a new Facebook group, or tell someone else who's looking for a short film for their teaching. <laughs>